you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5. And I want to read verse 24, where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev. He is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the Coffee House at Second and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for uh, tuning in or listening. And uh, this is uh, our third Sunday of partnering with Floods of Justice to I have both a podcast and then a video podcast uh, for our Sunday morning sermon or Sunday morning lesson. You can, if you look up, you can see we're doing things a little bit different than the previous two Sundays. Uh, my uh, co-host, Kevin Sage, is not here with us, and uh, we need to just to keep them in prayer. Everything is good. No need to be concerned, uh, but they have a, um, a good friend who they have been around who, um, at doctor's orders, went to get tested. Uh, for COVID. Uh, they don't know the results yet. They said it would be 10 days. And so they're all following the protocol and um, are at home in isolation until they uh, get the test back. So we pray for them. We pray for their family. We pray for the sages and, um, and look forward to uh, seeing them again. But in the meantime, this is Palm Sunday. And so I'm going to do more of just a lesson or a sermon on Palm Sunday instead of a conversation like we've done the last couple of weeks. Uh, but we have a special guest. We're going to try something new. We're going to try to have music and uh, have my very good friend Michael Ricks with us today. Uh, he's an incredible musician, songwriter, plays about every instrument I can think of. Uh, but he plays the banjo, and, and uh, he, he's the best banjo player of any friends who I have who play the banjo. So that's a small list, Michael, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but you're up there at the top of that list. And so he's going to sing a few songs for us and then... And then we'll get into the lesson. But before he sings, let me um, read a prayer. If you've downloaded our study guide, which I hope you do, um, this prayer is in the study guide. Uh, so you can follow along. And um, it, it's an Advent prayer and a, um, and a prayer of confession uh, for this time of year as we enter Holy Week. So here is the prayer, a prayer of confession. Holy God, as we remember your son's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we confess that all too often we have been part of the crowd. When things go our way, we believe our lives are good because we worked hard. When things do not go our way, we blame others for our troubles. God, help us to take responsibility, not only for our own lives, but for the lives of our neighbors. Forgive us when we have forgotten your commandments and have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves, but instead have judged others, believing them not worthy of our help or our compassion. Forgive us our faults and renew in us a sense of your love, justice, and mercy. Guide us in ways we might live out your commandments more fully in our lives. Help us to seek Christ in the suffering of, in this world and guide us as the body of Christ to be your hands and feet. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Savior say, thy strength indeed is 
Well, thank you so much, Michael. I appreciate you uh, coming and leading us in worship, and I, I was touched uh, by those songs. It was good just to sit back and be uh, ministered to, and uh, so thank you so much. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19. Today is Palm Sunday, and uh, uh, but we're going to look at Luke's account of Palm uh, Sunday. Now, let me say up front that this is, you know, every year, uh, certain things roll around in the church calendar like Palm Sunday and Easter and Christmas. And as a minister, you know, it's like, how do you make it different from last year? Well, I didn't even try that. This is uh, the Palm Sunday sermon that I preached last uh, last year. I went in and made some difference to make it um, more applicable to today because I think it does apply to us today because of what we're going through. Um, but uh, but anyway, so um, I've cut some things out, and add, I know most people don't remember what I preached last week, much less last year. But um, but anyway, I just wanted to um, to say that up front. And do download the study guide. There's some questions that I hope will challenge you as you think through those things. And join us this afternoon at three o'clock uh, for our Zoom um, time together as a church. Information on how to do that is on our Facebook page, uh, Franklin Community Church. And I uh, look forward to seeing everyone, uh, everyone there. But here we are. This is our third Sunday in a row of having to record a podcast and a video uh, for our Sunday morning sermon. And um, we would really like to hear from you what you think about this, the, the format that Kevin Sage and I have used, and now today having to do things a little bit different. We really are wanting input to see uh, if, if this is meeting your needs. Um, if there's things that you would like to see us do, and so please, please get a hold of us. Uh, and I hope that these lessons the last three weeks have been meaningful to you. And um, because myself and, and Kevin Sage and Brad Davis are working hard, spending lots of hours trying to, to do the best that we can uh, in the situation that we find ourselves in. So please, uh, let us hear your feedback. And, uh, but anyway, so let me begin this, uh, this sermon by asking you a question. Have you ever been confronted with a serious either-or choice? Uh, now, I'm sure all of us have, so in a way, that's a rhetorical question. But I want you to think about that, these choices that it's not a both-and, but it's either-or. I'm referring to a choice uh, when you are consciously aware by choosing one thing, that means that you are not choosing the other thing. And then after you make the decision, you know that there's no turning back from what you had decided to do. It could be a choice between two competing career paths. Do you want to do this or do you want to do that? Do you want to take this promotion or you want to take that job over there? Uh, do you want to move to this city or do you want to stay put? It could be a choice about who you're going to spend the rest of your life with in marriage. It could be between what house do you want to buy? Uh, what part of the city do you want to live in? It could be about what school you want to attend. And you know, these, these are serious choices. And by making the choice, you're setting yourself up for a long period of your life. That's the type of thing that I'm talking about. I'm talking about an either-or choice that you know will have lifelong consequences. Now, as a country, because of what we're in right now, and really as the world, but, but as a country, <clears throat> we are faced with that type of question now. There are all types of competing uh, voices about what we should be doing as a country during this time. Do we hurry things up? And do we uh, try to get back to work as soon as we can uh, because, because of the economy and knowing that we may be risking people's lives? Is that what we do? Or do we move slowly 
stay in quarantine longer, stay in shelter in place longer, knowing that the more that we social distance and the more that we stay away from work, the more damage it's going to do uh, to the economy. So the question comes down to, and I know this is an oversimplification, uh, and I know that people really say, no, that's not what we're talking about. But just for sake of us, for sake of illustration, it comes down to, uh, do we sacrifice our economy or do we sacrifice people? And once we make that, the choi that choice as a country of which direction we go, then there's no turning back. We've made that choice. It's an either or choice. And so I want you to keep that in mind, this idea of an either or choice as we look at Luke's account of what we call Palm Sunday in Luke chapter 19. Now, in reality, what happened on Palm Sunday was a juxtaposition of choice. In reality, it was an either-or decision that had to be made by the people who were experiencing this day. This is, this is a key point in history. Are you going to follow Christ or are you not going to follow Christ. Luke's account of this day begins in Luke chapter 19, verse 28, where Luke says, after Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And so Palm Sunday comes in the context of Jesus' teaching on his way to Jerusalem. And every day for at least a week, maybe longer, he had been going to the temple courts and he had been teaching the people, knowing that he was soon going to be crucified. And so what was Jesus teaching as he was going to Jerusalem? What was he saying as he was going up to Jerusalem to, to where he knew would be his appointed death? Well, in Luke's story, his immediate teaching was a parable that he told while eating in the home of Zacchaeus, you know, the, the wee little man. He goes to his house and he eats and he starts to tell the people a parable. And so Luke writes in Luke chapter 19, verse 11, while they were listening to this, to this parable, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And that's key. All of Jesus' teaching, all of his healings, all of his miracles had to do with one thing. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. Now, but the people thought that when he got to Jerusalem, the kingdom of God would come at once. And so the people thought that Jesus was going to Jerusalem to start a rebellion, to overthrow the oppressive Roman government. They thought that it would happen at once, which means with force and maybe even with violence. The people had been anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. Many people in that day, many Israelites were ready to fight the Romans, believing that the Messiah would be a political military leader and would and would lead the revolt against this oppressive government. And so they thought Jesus had come to be that leader. They thought that's what the Messiah would do. And they were ready for it all to happen at once. And so Jesus tells a parable to try to quell their excitement. But the parable didn't work as you read the rest of the events. But in this parable, which is in Luke chapter 19, verses 22 through 27, the parable is about an aristocrat who leaves his homeland to go to a distant country where he is going to be appointed king over the entire empire. And so this person leaves, and he, when he leaves, 
he's going to be he's going to come back as a king. So before he leaves, verse 13 tells us he gives 10 of his servants a large amount of money with instructions to put this money to work. However, the perceived, and I put that in quotation marks, the perceived reputation among the servants of this aristocrat is that he was a hard man and unfair. And that's in verse 21 of Luke 19. So Jesus, Jesus says that they hated him, hated this aristocrat, and they hated him, and they sent a delegation after him to say to those who were going to appoint their king, this is in verse 14, we don't want this man to be our king. So in other words, this aristocrat leaves. He's going to go to be appointed king, so he leaves and comes back as a king. But when he's out of sight, his servants send people in another direction to get to the, to the other country ahead of this man and tell the people, we don't want this guy to be our king. He's hard and he's unfair. Now the reason I say his perceived reputation is because ultimately in this story, Jesus is the aristocrat that is going to leave and come back as king. And so he is the aristocrat that was hated for being mean and unfair. And we know in reality he was neither of those things. So the aristocrat leaves. People go ahead of him. They leave after him but go ahead of him and tell people we don't want him to be our king. When the aristocrat returns as king, the parable tells us uh, what happened to three of the ten servants. One servant doubled, doubled the investment. The second servant significantly added to the investment. Both servants were rewarded for their faithfulness. But the third servant hid his investment. And as a result, we're told that he was executed. Now, the point Jesus was trying to make was that God's kingdom was not going to happen suddenly, violently, or militarily as the people anticipated. Rather, Jesus was saying that he was going to have to leave for a little while and then return as the king of kings and lord of lords. But he didn't quite get that. In other words... The kingdom of God is both now and not yet. God's kingdom began with the arrival of Jesus, but his kingdom will not be completed until Jesus returns in all power and glory. And so while we live in the in-between times because the, our aristocrat, Jesus, has left, he's going to return as a king, but he hasn't come back yet. And so we live in the in-between time. And while we live in this in-between time of the kingdom of God being now and not yet, we are to be investing in God's kingdom. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do that by continuing to do what Jesus did. Preach good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom for the prisoner. Recovery of sight for the blind. Release the oppressed. Build outposts for the kingdom. Praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And we do that, and until our king returns, we proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, back to Palm Sunday. The story continues. 
This is, begin reading in verse 29. Luke chapter 19, verse 29. As Jesus approached Bethpage in Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Now let's stop and unpack that. For centuries, the Jewish people had lived as second-class citizens to the Roman Empire. Yes, some Jews were highly successful. A lot of those were Sadducees. But they were highly successful. But most of the Jews were still poor and oppressed. Life was not easy for them. From the time of the Maccabees leading up to the time of Jesus, dozens if not hundreds of Jewish males had claimed to be the Messiah and had led revolts against the Roman Empire trying to reestablish the throne of David. And the Roman Empire crucified every one of them. The time of year when rebellions and revolts and uprisings were most likely to occur was Passover week, the high holiday of the Jewish faith. So every year around this time, there were people who were coming who claimed to be the Messiah and were causing trouble and trying to, to start revolts against the Roman Empire. And so in an effort to quell any thoughts of revolt in the days leading up to Passover week, the Roman army would march into Jerusalem with a powerful show of military force. It was a not-so-subtle way um, to say to the Jewish people, you can celebrate your Passover, but don't you cause any trouble. For the Romans, this was a sign of peace by force. But for the Jews, it was a reminder of their Roman occupation. So each spring, the time of the Passover, Pontius Pilate would leave his oceanfront home in Caesarea and travel to this podunk type of town of Jerusalem to keep the peace and to squash any rebellion. And so Pilate would enter the city of Jerusalem from the west riding a powerful war stallion with all the might of the Roman army and the imperial cavalry following him. Pilate's entrance into Jerusalem, in other words, was a military parade demonstrating the imperial rule of the world through their superior capacity to wage war. That same week, as Pilate entered from the east or from the west with a show of force riding a stallion from the east Jesus entered Jerusalem followed by his 12 meager disciples riding a young colt or donkey do you see the intentional juxtaposition Jesus's triumphal entry was an anti-military parade. Jesus entered Jerusalem from the opposite direction and in the opposite manner that Pilate entered the city. 
And so among other things, Palm Sunday was an intentional prophetic protest against the empire. Here's the point. Palm Sunday forces us to choose who are we going to follow. What kind of life are we going to live? Where will we look for security? In whom or in what will we trust? Is our hope in our country or is it in our Christ? Is our hope in some type of cure being found or is our hope in Jesus Christ? It's an either or choice. It's either one or the other. It's not a both and choice. Are we going to follow Jesus or are we going to put our faith in something else? And it's a serious choice. So in reality then, Palm Sunday is a call. First, it's a call to declare our allegiance to either our Savior or to the state. And remember, it's an either or, not both and. And so Luke continues in Luke chapter 19, verse 32. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Notice verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You see, folks, by blessing Jesus as their king, the people were saying that Caesar was not their king. In other words, verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 38 is a political protest. What the people were saying was grounds for treason. They were saying, we're not going to follow Caesar. We're going to follow Jesus. And the people were in an uproar. And that is why, because this crowd was on the verge of rioting, that the leaders came to Jesus in verse 39 and said, you better calm this down. It's going to get out of hand. This was not some nice Sunday go-to-meeting gathering. They were proclaiming that Jesus was king and Caesar was not. Remember, this is why Pilate had come with his military, to squelch such revolts. The Romans would use force if necessary to calm things down, and the leader said, you better calm down, Jesus. The tension in the air was thick. Thus, the religious leaders wanted Jesus to stop. They wanted him to stop his demonstration before something bad happened. They were mad at Jesus because he was challenging the status quo. He was upsetting the system in place that benefited them. And the religious leaders were siding with power instead of siding with the people. They were choosing the state 
over the Savior. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who sided with the Savior during the time of Hitler and paid for it with his life, said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Joshua challenged the Israelites, saying in Joshua 24, 15, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? So you see, Palm Sunday forces us to choose sides. Secondly, and along the same lines, Palm Sunday is a call to commit to either the kingdom of God or the empires of this world. In response to the Pharisees' rebuke, Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 40, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The Jewish leaders were afraid that there would be blood in the streets. Jesus proclaimed that he was going to be worshipped one way or another. See, Jesus described the kingdom of God as a mustard seed that starts off small but grows large in Matthew chapter 13. He described it as yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. That's in Matthew 13 as well. Through these stories, Jesus was telling us that the kingdom of God cannot be stopped. Even though it's small and it's primarily invisible, the kingdom of God may seem insignificant, but it affects everything that it touches. Empires will come and go. Plagues will come and go. Pandemics will come and go. But God's kingdom will endure forever. So are you following a kingdom or are you following an empire? Are you investing in a kingdom or are you investing in the empire? It's an either or choice, not a both and. And third, Palm Sunday is a call to weep over what is instead of what could be. Luke writes in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus wept because he knew how most people were going to respond. He knew most people would reject him. He knew in a matter of days he would be killed. He knew what could be. But he also understood what was. Likewise, when we see people reject Jesus and make wrong decisions and choose the material over the spiritual, it should break our hearts. It should cause us to weep. Instead of anger and condemnation, we should cry tears of compassion. Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, that when Jesus saw people, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That should be our view of people as well. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Peter, 
or the Apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slowing, slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Fourth, Palm Sunday is a call to live at peace in a world of hostility. Why did Jesus weep? Well, because he knew the people were headed for destruction. Jesus continues in verse 42. Verse 41, he says, he wept over it and he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden before your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will, they will dash you to the ground, you and all the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now that was a prophecy about the fall of Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans that took place in 70 A.D. See, folks, the time of Jesus was violent and volatile. It was not peace on earth, goodwill towards men. We have romanticized these stories of Jesus so much that we lose the meaning of it. The early church was birthed and grew through tremendous persecution. Today, our world is still violent and volatile, and Christians are being persecuted everywhere, and people are suffering everywhere, and we're seeing it now in our own community. By riding into town on a young colt instead of on a war stallion, Jesus was modeling for us that the way to overcome violence is not with more violence. The way to overcome violence is with love and peace and forgiveness. The world will not know Jesus is king by us, his followers, stockpiling weapons and hoarding toilet paper. The world will know Jesus is king by our love for one another and our love for our neighbors. You see, folks, ultimately, Palm Sunday is a call to radical discipleship. And in a lot of ways, since we're quarantined, so to speak, and we can't go to church like we used to, Jesus is calling us today to a new type of discipleship, a radical type of discipleship. It's a call to be countercultural. It's a call to go all in for Jesus. This is what Palm Sunday is about. It's a call to quit playing games and to quit pretending and to radically commit your life to Jesus. It's a radical call, and one that very few people will answer. Even in today's story, the same group of people who blessed him on Sunday cried, crucify him on Thursday. Why? Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. 
in his, what I think was a groundbreaking book, just published a couple years ago. The title of, the book, of his book is called Postcards from Babylon, The Church in American Exile. Pastor Brian Zahn writes, What we see on Palm Sunday are two parades, one from the west and one from the east, one where Pontius Pilate rides a war horse and one where God's anointed Messiah rides a donkey. One is a military parade projecting the power of empire, the Roman Empire, the other is a prophetic parade announcing the arrival of an alternative empire, the kingdom of God. One parade derives its power from a willingness to crucify its enemies. The other derives its power by embracing the cross and forgiving its enemies. One is the perpetuation of the domination systems of empire. The other is the only hope the world has for true liberation. The question is, which parade will we march in? One parade is led by some dude on a horse, and those who follow are armed with swords. The other parade is led by a king on a donkey, and those who follow are armed with nothing more deadly than palm branches. The people in each parade think the people in the other parade are persisting in absolute folly. So you'll have to make your own mind about which parade you want to march in. Palm Sunday, a call to radical discipleship. Will you follow the one on a young colt or will you follow the guy on a war horse? It's your decision. It's an either or decision, not a both and. How will you answer the call? Here's a prayer of commitment. And so it begins. We walk through this week from palms now to passion. It's Jesus we seek. Each moment we walk through these days now with Jesus is time to see people the way Jesus sees us, to watch for the ones who need hope, who need kindness, seeking the light, not the darkness that blinds us. As you walk through these days, May the love you now know be spread to each person you meet on the go. And may God, who now blesses and keeps you in love, whose face shines upon you with grace from above, who looks on you with such joy and such favor, this God, three in one, gives you peace, life to savor. Amen.